The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who may be visiting or new to us, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and uh, it is good to be with you. Uh, welcome. We're glad that you are with us this morning as we, we come and we worship our God and we come to his word. And uh, if you are new to us, you are joining us in the midst of a sermon series uh, looking at the fruit of the Spirit. So the, the fruit of the Spirit is uh, outlined for us in Galatians chapter 5. There the Apostle Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the Apostle Paul there in Galatians 5 is outlining for us what the fruit of the Spirit is because the fruit of the Spirit is what the, the Christian attributes, what our characteristics are to be. That when we think about what a Christian is to, to demonstrate, how it is that we are to live, what are those attributes that are supposed to pour out of our lives, that these are the things that we should think of. That regardless of whether you are, are new to the faith, faith or, or a leader within the church, regardless of whether you have walked with Jesus for just a couple days or, or for many, many years, this is what we are to embody. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. This is the fruit of the Spirit. And so that's why we've been looking at these fruit the last few weeks. And this morning we come to the fourth of the nine fruit. We come to the fruit of patience. And as we take up this uh, fruit, this idea of patience, we're going to do so by looking at James chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to James 5. There are also Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and you can follow along on the screens in front of you as we'll project the passage there. But we're looking at James chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse 7. There James writes this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those who blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we come acknowledging your, our need. We need you to uh, implant in us the seed of your fruit. The fruit of your spirit, we need it to your help for it to grow and for it to flourish, for there to be harvest in our own lives. And so we pray that you would begin that work even today, that you would establish us as people of patience. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, the first three fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, those three, first three fruit, uh, they, they kind of feel heavenly, don't they? kind of feel very spiritual, right? Love, joy, peace. Like, they feel like churchy things that we should talk about. 
right? We talk about peace, and, and you almost feel like there should be like a glow around you when you're talking about it, or like an audible, ah, oh, right? Like, like that, that's kind of how we talk about those first three things, how we think about them, that, that church is the place to talk about those things, love, joy, and peace. But now we're coming to the fruit that feels much more earthy, right? Patience. One theologian, a man named Christopher Wright, he, he put it this way. He said, the first three feel really good on Sundays, but this one brings us to Monday. <laughs> if we know what he's talking about, don't we? Mondays and Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays and, and even Sundays, because I'm sure for some of us sometime today, we might feel a little impatient. Hopefully not yet, but maybe sometime this morning, one or two. Two of you might look at your watch, right? <laughs> uh, I hope not. But, uh, but you know, we, we understand this because we are confronted by patience or our lack thereof every single day. Right? We feel it. We know that we could always grow more and more in patience. I mean, we can say that about every one of the fruit, right? We can grow more in love. We can grow more in peace. But, but we feel the acuteness of our lack of patience very much every day. We, we struggle with patience. And when I was thinking about the struggle with patience, my mind actually ran to a scene from the 2010 movie, The Social Network. I imagine some of you have seen this movie. It's the movie that is, you know, based on the true story of how Facebook was founded. And so, uh, so there's this scene at the very end of the movie, the character who's playing Mark Zuckerberg, who's the founder and CEO of Facebook, he's sitting in a conference room it's at a law office. He's having a conversation with a lawyer who is representing him and his company because there's a lawsuit coming against Facebook. And so he's sitting there talking to this lawyer, and she's giving him counsel and instruction. And, and at some point, she leaves. And Zuckerberg's left by himself in the room with just a computer. And so he opens his computer, and he's the founder and CEO of Facebook. So what does he do when he opens his computer? Well, he goes to Facebook, right? And he looks up this lawyer and he finds her, her Facebook profile and, and looks at some of her pictures and sees some of her quotes and her job history, those sorts of things. And he decides he's going to friend request her. Y'all know what that is, right? So he sends her a friend request and he waits about two seconds and hits refresh. And he waits a couple more seconds, and he hits refresh again. And he sits there all by himself. He's not antsy. He's not nervous. He's sitting there very calmly, hitting refresh again and again and again. And that's how the movie ends, with him for a couple minutes hitting refresh. Because, you see, he can't wait. He can't wait to get a response. He can't wait to see if she's going to accept his request. She, he can't wait he sits there, hitting refresh, hoping that she will reply, hoping that she will, she will go ahead and accept his request. He can't wait to, for the next day. He can't wait to close his computer. He needs to know now. Refresh again and again and again. Now, the reason this stuck out to me when I was watching the movie the first time and why I've thought about it ever since is because it resonates with our experience, doesn't it? I mean, we send, in an, we send an email and we impatiently wait for the response. 
We send a text message and we keep looking at our phone waiting for the reply. We see those little three dots showing up and we're wondering, when will it show up? We put something on social media and we check it and we recheck it. Do I have likes? Do I have responses? Do I have retweets? But we do this not only with the technology that we're surrounded with, we experience this impatience with humans, with one another, with the people we come in contact with, right? We experience this impatience with, you know, the drivers who are moving too slow at the intersection of 419 and 5A1. I mean, just, you know, hypothetically speaking. <sighs> I hate that intersection. Right? We don't like to wait. And in the midst of our waiting, impatience kicks in. And this isn't just something that we feel in our own hearts and our souls. This is something that our culture actually is ingraining in us. Our culture is oriented around limiting our weight as much as possible. And so we have fast food, and we have faster internet, and we have 5G data, and we have instantaneous news. And all of what it's doing is shaping us to be bad at waiting. And so we become impatient, not just with the car in front of us or our lagging download speeds, but we become impatient with the Lord. We, we become impatient because the Lord works on his timetable, not our own. We become impatient with him because we don't have that relationship or that job or that victory over sin when we wanted it. We become impatient with him. And that's actually where James orients his discussion, where he, where he turns our focus in this discussion on patience. About practicing patience, he turns us to waiting on the Lord. Did you see that? In verse 7, he doesn't begin with how we are to be patient with each other, but with God. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And in verse 8, he says, you also be patient, Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So you see, James is saying, be patient, for the Lord is returning. He's coming back. Now, why would he do this? Well, contextually speaking, James is writing to a people who are dealing with struggles and with difficulties and suffering. And it's in the midst of these difficulties and suffering that he says, be patient. Now, this word for be patient, it can mean remain tranquil be forbearing, enduring, long-suffering. Okay, so think about that. This, these people are in the midst of struggle, and James says, be patient. Now, that could sound cold and insensitive to us, couldn't it? I mean, be patient. You're in the midst of difficulty. Be long-suffering. You're in the midst of struggle. Remain tranquil. Why does he do this? Why is he doing this? Well, you know, it would be cold and insensitive if there was nothing on the other side of difficulty and struggle. But what does he say? He says, be patient. Why? Because the coming of the Lord is at hand. You see, it would be cold and insensitive to say this if nothing was on the other side of difficulty. But when we know that the Lord is going to return, and in his return he's going to make things right then we can wait on his timing. You see, we don't have to try and control our situations and our circumstances. And I think that that's actually what drives our impatience often. 
is our lack of control, right? I mean, if people and things would simply move and act and behave the way that we want them, at the timing in which we want them to act and behave, and the, the way that I want them to do it, well, then I wouldn't be impatient anymore, right? I mean, if our children or our friends, if they would just move and act exactly the way I want them to, when I want them to do it, then, then I would have no problem with patience, <laughs> right? But our world is outside of our control, And this impatience, this frustration, this anger that may be welling up in our hearts, it can cause us to take matters into our own hands. But look what James says in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. So James is giving us an example, an illustration of a Palestinian farmer. And we know a first century Palestinian farmer didn't have access to modern irrigation uh, techniques, right? Didn't have a faucet that they could just turn on. What they had to do is they had to uh, till the soil and plant the seed and wait. They just had to wait for rain. They couldn't make the rain come any quicker. They simply had to wait. And now after they waited for a time, finally the early rains come, right? And, and you can imagine that up comes the crop, right? We start to see the, the, the harvest starting to come, right? And it's getting a little bit taller. And, and initially, wouldn't there be an inclination in your heart to, to think, well, well, maybe this is it. And so I have to harvest it. I have to take it. I need to get it. But, but what does James say? He says, the wise farmer The patient farmer doesn't harvest after the early rains, but waits for what? The late rains. You see, the wise and patient farmer doesn't jump at the first opportunity for harvest. He waits for the late rains so the harvest will be bountiful. The patient farmer, the example that James is giving us, is the one who submits to the Lord's process. Who submits to the Lord's timing. And that's what he's telling us, to wait on the Lord, to be patient and wait on him, that we are to trust the Lord just as the farmer trusted that the rain would come. You see, patience, if impatience is a manifestation of our lack of control, patience is a manifestation of trust. It's a manifestation of trust that the Lord's timing is right. That the Lord's work is good. That the Lord will one day return. And so James is calling us to be patient and to wait. But y'all, waiting's hard, right? Even for the Lord. I mean, 2,000 years? 2,000 years. That's how long we've been waiting. The earth has been waiting for Jesus to return for 2,000 years. And what does James say? His coming's at hand. I got to tell you, my first thought is like, it doesn't feel like it's at hand, dude, right? Like 2,000 years does not feel like near. But we have to remember, nearness is relative, isn't it? At hand is relative. It, it, it all has to do with our perspective of time, doesn't it? I mean, think about like this. If you have little ones in your house or think back to maybe when you had little ones, if, if they're grown now. At some point, probably in the year, especially when they're really young, they'll ask, Mom, Dad, when's my birthday? 
how much longer till Christmas? Right? And so then you say to them, well, it's still another two months. It's another three months. It's another 11 months. You know, your birthday just happened last month. I'm like, right? Uh, talk about some impatience, right? Maybe. Um, but, but they don't, at, at younger ages, they can't really get that, right? They can't get their mind around like 10 months or 8 months, right? And so, so in our house, what we would do is we would take down the calendar. We, we actually still have like a paper calendar in our kitchen. They, they still make those. Uh, it, and ours actually has pictures of cardinals on it, so it's beautiful. So, you know, but, but regardless, we take down the calendar, and what do we start doing? Well, well, look, here's one month, and we turn a page, and here's a second, and, here's, and we keep going. And you can watch the kid as you get to like three or four pages, and they just start getting deflated, right? Because I can't wait that long, <laughs> Forget that it's been like four years since we had to do that. It's amazing how time has moved on, right? But for a little one, for a child, a month, two months, ten months, it feels like an eternity. But to us, right, like to, to those of us who have lived decades, what's a day? What's a year? Right? I mean, the scope of our lives, what, what's a couple months? Well, if that's the truth for our experience, how much more in the scope of eternity? For God's, I mean, think about, try and get your mind around eternity. I was trying to do that. Like eternity, forever. Forever. Like, I can't get my mind around how long forever is. But it's long. In 2,000 years, in the scope of eternity, it's a drop in the bucket. Or as the Apostle Peter puts in 1 Peter to the Lord, a thousand years is like a day. And so we don't have to question James when he says the Lord's coming is at hand, to wait and to be patient. No, no, instead, what we should do is we should look and we should expect and we should long for that day when he will return. And we patiently wait for it. And as we wait for this earth-changing event, it enables us to be patient with the minor events in our own lives. So James says in verse 9, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now this might sound, seem out of the blue a little bit, right? Because he's talking about patience. He's giving examples of the prophets and of Job as people who are patient. And then he says, don't grumble. It just seems kind of out of the blue, maybe, at first. But I think the reason why James points us to not grumbling in the midst of a discussion on patience is because he knows our human proclivities. Because when we're impatient, what do we do? When the driver's too slow, or we're left on hold, or the internet is only downloading at like one second, or we haven't heard back from that interview, what do we do? We grumble. That idiot driver. <laughs> it's funny, that never come, that's never heard in the car when Kat's driving, but regarding, you know, <laughs> I hate the internet. That their customer service is trash. That company is unprofessional. That's what we do, don't we? We grumble. But when we patiently wait for the Lord, y'all, we don't need to grumble. We don't need to grumble because we have confidence that everything, 
everything, the great things in redemptive history and the minor things of our lives. Everything is in his hands. We, we don't need to grumble because we can trust that God is in control. We can trust that his timing is right. You see, we can pursue patience because the Lord is in control. Because the Lord is returning. That is why we can pursue patience. But we can also pursue patience because the Lord is patient with us. Now, I wonder if uh, before this morning... If we were to get together and I was to ask you, what are, what are the attributes, what are the characteristics that you think of when you think of the Lord? I wonder what, what I would hear. I, I imagine I, I have an idea of some of the things we would hear. We would hear about the Lord's power and his strength, right? And rightfully so. We'd hear about the Lord's creativity and his, his beauty, right? Because all we have to do is look out the window and see the mountains and the rivers and the trees and, and we see it, right? We, we would turn to those sorts of things perhaps, But you know, there's a beautiful passage in Exodus chapter 34 where the Lord tells us about himself. And so we don't have to speculate about the Lord's attributes, about his character. He actually tells us about himself. On the mountainside, as the Lord is talking to Moses, he declares, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's slow to anger. The Lord is patient with his people. Now, what's amazing about this declaration that the Lord makes about himself in Exodus 34 is the fact that it's coming off of the heels of Israel's great idolatry in Exodus 32. So you remember in Exodus 32, God has led his people out of Egypt. He has rescued them from the hand of Pharaoh. He has led them through the sea and taken them through the wilderness and brought them to the mountain. And how do they respond? Do you remember? It's not with worship and awe and celebration. They make for themselves a golden calf and say, here is your God. And they bow down and worship it. They rebel against their God who has delivered them. And in that moment, God had every right to bring judgment and wrath upon his people. Because they had rebelled against him. They had turned from his ways. He had every right to do that, and that is what they were deserving. And he was willing to bring judgment upon them. But between Exodus 32 and Exodus 34, Moses intercedes, and then God is patient with his people. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Y'all, what beautiful words. He is slow to anger. We see this theme not just in Exodus, but it's repeated in Psalm 103 when David proclaims, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He is slow to anger. He is patient with his people. When God calls his people to repentance, he is patient with them. We see it in Exodus and in the Psalms and in the book of Jonah and in Hosea, and we see it with Jesus himself. Because Jesus is the one who patiently suffered for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says that when Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return. That when he suffered, he did not threaten 
but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. What wonderful words, what a beautiful declaration that when we were deserving of wrath, God was slow to anger. That when we were deserving of his judgment, God was merciful and gracious. He has been and continues to be patient with his people. I mean, just think about your sin. Today, your sin. The sin that you probably confessed during the silent confession Those sins like lust and gossip, like a biting tongue or a critical spirit, like addiction. I mean, the list goes on, right? Think about those sins. And if you're like me, if you're like me, those are the same sins that you were probably confessing a week ago. And they're the same sins you've been struggling with for about a month, maybe a year, maybe five. Right? They're the same sins we keep coming back to again and again, right? And, and, and don't hear what I'm not saying. I mean, there are times where, where we manif- they manifest and they show up in different ways in our lives. And, and there are times where we have had greater victory over them than at other times in our lives. But, but we continue to wrestle and we continue to fight and we continue to struggle against those same sins, don't we? And when we confess that thing again... How do we see God looking down upon us? Is he looking down going, Penny, again? When will you learn? Gosh. No. He looks down upon us with patience. As one who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who does not repay us according to our iniquities. Or as you remember in Philippians, we were just there a few months ago in Philippians chapter 1, what the Apostle Paul said, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When will that day come? At the day of Jesus Christ. And so that means between now and that day, there is going to be difficulty. There is going to be struggle. There are going to be things in our lives that we need the Lord to be patient with. And thanks be to God that he is. That he doesn't look down upon us. And and he, he doesn't bring his anger, but he withholds it because he has actually placed it upon his son. Right? That God is actually in his kindness and his goodness to us. He is reshaping us and reforming us and changing us so that we would look more like Jesus. Right? So that we would say no to sin and ungodliness and turn away from those temptations, but that we would cling to him and we would know his grace and his love and that anger that he is slow to dish out. God is patiently bringing his people to repentance and reshaping us into the image of his son. And because of that, I mean, friends, because God is patient with his people, with Israel, with us, we too can be patient. We can be patient with each other and we can wait for the Lord because the Lord, out of his steadfast love, has been patient with us. 
Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that you are gracious and merciful, that you are kind and gentle. We thank you that you have demonstrated that to us through your Son, and so we pray that as those who have received your patience, make us a people of patience, patient with the world around us, patient with each other, patient with even our own selves. Father, turn our eyes towards Christ. And let us look for that day when he will return. Let us wait patiently for that day when Jesus will return and all things will be made right. Come, Lord, quickly. Come, we pray. In Christ's name and God's people said together, amen.